Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, August 23rd. Welcome to Leading Off with True Blue LA. This is your host, Eric Steven. Today is another Dodgers Rewind episode in which we look back at a former Rookie of the Year, Jim Lefevre. But I did say we look back because with me today is Jacob Burtz. Jacob, how are you doing? You know, I let you do the intro on this particular episode, and I, I believe I have the leverage in this situation. But I, oh. I would say I don't think I've interrupted you yet. But I have almost interrupted you every single time. I almost, ah, it's my turn. Oh, wait, right. It, it's year, years of me torturing you on, <laughs> on our own intros on the on the lineup, the weekly podcast. Um, but so you um, have a direct link to this, which is what? one of the reasons I wanted to do it. So you went to see um, when the Dodgers were in Kansas City to I play did. the Royals. Yeah. You went to see the first two games. And I believe before the first one of those games, the Dodgers presented... Dave Roberts with like a bouquet of flowers for Vin Scully. Um, and I believe the person presenting him was Ryan Lefevre, who is Jim Lefevre's son hey. and, a, and a Royals broadcaster. Well, there you go. So, yeah, nice. And you, oh, you all, we didn't talk about this on the other podcast, but you saw the um, the Jackie Robinson uniforms day, the Kansas City Monarchs the Monarch, versus the yeah. Brooklyn Dodgers. Oh, that was. I actually. Yeah, I uh, love it. So one difference you'll learn, like, when yeah. Dodgers do a promotion, it tends to be, like, the first, like, 40,000 people get something usually. Yeah. When the Royals yeah. do it, it's the first 10,000. So you got to show up. If it's mm. a if it's a team like the Dodgers, <laughs> you're trying, you got to show up early. And I did not. I was there, I don't know, half an hour before the game started, and it wasn't enough. So I, uh, but I found someone, because uh, the giveaway was a really high-quality uh, pennant of the Monarchs. Oh. And oh, I, nice. I wanted one, so I uh, found someone that had a bunch, bought it for twenty. The, um, yeah, that was that was all. And what I always like it when, when teams go full on on the throwbacks and actually do like actual helmets, like the Dodgers wore Brooklyn helmets, like and and it's on the road. Like, look, I, I'm we're sure doing really throwback. We'll get, get rid of the helmets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, suck it up, you know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, classic Jackie Robinson wore the helmet with the with the chin flap and all that. Like, <laughs> you know what's weird? I'm go, we're going out, of t- but no, I want to say the the Kansas City Monarch ones looked especially great. Yeah, this is, that whole package was great. But um, you know what's weird? This is a tangent tangent city today. Um, ear flap, or I mean, not ear flap. The like, I guess entire cheek jaw, flap or whatever. Flap, yeah, yeah, that that basically like those were like. What ten years ago, like three people had them, right? Yeah. Like at most, and all, now everyone has them almost, and it's like no big deal. And I think that's great. Like it just it it's just funny how like that just became accepted and like good. Like but like yeah, it just it always struck me that the, like you know those were so odd for a while, and now it's like almost everyone has them. And I, I always thought it would be weird. Well, I couldn't hit anyway, but like in terms of like vision, like, you know, because it would mess with your what you could see. But I, I guess it doesn't. So who knows? But anyway, uh, none of that. Uh, Jim Lefebvre never wore a hel- such a helmet uh, when he played. But he did. Um, he was born in Inglewood, grew up there, starred at Morningside High, uh, known a lot as a basketball school. Byron Scott played there, future Lager, and Lisa Leslie, future Spark, uh, played there. <sighs> 
I'm trying to remember. Oh, no. Okay, I was thinking about something else. Never mind. Jim uh, LaFever, nickname Frenchie. As far as I can tell, it's only because of the name and, like, people assuming it was French or, like, part of his family's French. I couldn't find an actual origin story of the nickname. So I think it was just a lazy nickname. Like, hey, look at this Frenchie over here, right? Like, that kind of a nickname. So um, in 1960, uh, just before... And I guess during the start of his senior year in high school, uh, Lefebvre was a bat boy during Dodgers home games at the Coliseum. Um, And in early 1962, uh, just after graduating uh, high school, or I guess he he had graduated high school in 61 and then signed, there was no draft. So he signed with the Dodgers for $11,000 after turning down $25,000 from the Angels. So he really wanted to play for the Dodgers. (laughs) This was from the Associated Press back then. But... Um, before I get into more stuff on Lefevre, I, I have trivia for you, which we will mm. get to later. Jim Lefevre tied for the team lead with 12 home runs in his first season, and he led the team with 24 home runs in his sex, second season. He's one of only two L.A. Dodgers to lead the team in homers in each of their first two seasons. Who is the other? I will think about that while I yeah. listen to you regale me on the, on the history there, here. There's also more... Um, I was going to word it a different way, and I will go into why once we get to the answer portion, because I thought it was interesting. But yeah, that's for later. Um, in his first year in the minors, uh, Lefevre, um, he hit. He was age 20. He was in Reno in the Cal League. He hit 327, um, 432, 619, 39 homers, 130 RBIs. Now, it was a, an incredible offensive environment, both the league and in Reno. I think Reno itself averaged seven runs a game. I think the league averaged just under six. But still, those are eye-popping numbers. A newspaper in L.A. Um, had, it was the Southwest, Southwest Topics Wave, which I had never heard of before, but it's on newspapers.com. And it had Lefevre's homer total as 41, 20 right-handed and 21 left-handed, but it looks like it was just 39. But the point is he was a switch hitter with, with power. Uh, whatever the total was, he was third in the league in home runs. Uh, Bakersfield, uh, Phillies affiliate, uh, their outfield first baseman Larry Daniels had 44 home runs. Dick Simpson from the Angels, who played at San Jose, had 42 home runs. Lefebvre was second in RBI in the league, but it was to a teammate named Bill Haas. He was a 19-year-old first baseman. Another side note here, this again, tangent episode, um, Haas, Bill Haas was signed by scout Tommy Lasorda. And it was, I think it was like one of, given the timeline, it has to be like one of his early signings. Um, after two terrible years for the Mets and uh, the Colt 45s, their first two years, the National League was like, you know what, we're going to do a second expansion for you guys because you suck so bad. Um, so the the this is from the Amazing Mets 1962-69 to 69 book by William Rychek. Um, each of the other eight teams put four players into a pool from which the Mets and the Colts, uh, they were called the Colt 45s then, you know, it's, it's obviously the Astros now. They could purchase up to eight players each. Now, uh, the uh, the Houston GM, Paul Richards, uh, noted in the book, he balked because the price was $30,000 to get someone in the expansion draft here. Whereas if, if they were just on waivers, they could be had for 20000 or if it was in like the Rule 5 draft, they could be had for twenty five thousand, and these were basically like, you know, players that were going to get not you'd probably get cut anyway. So, but uh, Bill Haas was one of the uh, players taken in that expansion draft. Only three total players were taken, um, two of them by New York, and Bill Haas was one of them. He played, he reached AAA, but never played in the majors. But uh, back to Lefevre uh, in nineteen sixty five, 
He was a non-roster invitee in spring training, but he made the team as the opening day second baseman. Um, Wes Parker was a fellow rookie that year. He was the first baseman. They completed what is believed to be the uh, first all-switch hitting infield in MLB history. You had Maury Wills at short, uh, Jim Gilliam at third, Lefevre at second, and Parker at first. Uh, Lefevre that year, uh, 250, 337, 369. you got to remember this is the 1960s at Dodger Stadium. So that was actually above average on offense, 106 OPS+. And again, he led, he co-led the team with 12 home runs. So he won Rookie of the Year. He got 13 out of 20 votes. Second place was Joe Morgan, who got four votes. Now, a Giants reliever named Frank Lindsay, who had a 143 ERA in 82 innings, had three votes. My first thought is, like, you're, I'm just going to look at this and be like, well, this is egregious. <laughs> Joe Morgan is Joe Morgan. He probably should have won. Like like Hollinsworthian, I guess was the way I was thinking about it. Like in like instead of like Chipper Jones or whatever, um, or maybe wait was that Chipper? Uh, no, he was Edgar Renteria. Uh, and Nomo beat out Chipper Jones, I believe. Um, but Morgan still probably should have won. He hit two seventy one, three seventy three, four eighteen, a one thirty one OPS plus. He led the majors as a rookie with ninety seven walks. He had more homers than Lefevre. More extra base hits, more steals, 20 to 3, more runs, 157. But Lafever played an RBI. They, they batted in different spots in the lineup. But um, it wasn't that egregious. Like the Dodgers were, they won the pennant. Um, Lafever was a key part of that. Um, he was, uh, so he, this was the um, the 19th year that the of the Rookie of the Year award. And Lafever was the sixth Dodger to win it. Um, so you had. Jackie Robinson, 1947, Don Newcomb, 49, Joe Black, 52, Jim Gilliam, 53, and then Frank Howard in 1960. Another interesting thing here was, uh, so 65 was the first year the Rookie of the Year Award was called the Ford C. Frick Award. It was to honor um, the MLB commissioner who retired after the 1965 season. So, um, I... I'm trying to think. So I guess the story was in December, the AP story I found after the awards were given out, then the, the both leagues voted that, and they said, we're going to honor Ford Frick by putting him on the award. So this was the first year they did it, but then they went back and did like every retroactive award. So like literally Don Newcomb, like his, uh, his uh, rookie of the year plaque uh, was available and sold at auction in 2012. And you can see, um, how prominently it's like um, Ford Frick Award with Ford Frick's face like in the middle of the award and, and it's like Don Newcomb uh, 1949. The problem was Frick was commissioner, it wasn't commissioner until 1951. <laughs> so they retroactively did this award for someone who like wasn't a thing yet in terms of in baseball. But that but to get back to sort of why I think you can make a case for Lefevre at least um, Lefevre was great down the stretch so, again, no divisions back then, 1965. The Dodgers were third in an eight-team National League. They were four and a half games behind the Giants, and then they went 15-1 and one down the stretch. It's one of the greatest, like, closing runs. It's probably it's their best closing run ever. Um, Lefevre, over those last 16 games, uh, hit 327. He had uh, almost a 900 OPS. Uh, he led the team with three home runs during that time. He tied Willie Davis with 10 RBIs over those games. He made an error in a game against the Mets on August 24th. So this is before that little run. Uh, Pearl Lefevre's uh, Sabre bio, written by Bob Trostler. Uh, Jackie Robinson actually called him in support. This is from Lefevre. Quote, 
He told me, don't let it get you down. I've been through the same thing. When I made that error, I felt like the loneliest person in the world. Then when Jackie called me, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. That man carried me uh, through that last month. Uh, so that year also, um, Lefevre was 4 for 10 in the World Series, but he suffered a heel injury in Game 3, and he was unavailable the rest of the series against the Twins. We'll find out a little bit more about Lefevre's rookie season and what he did after that uh, after the break. So 1966, after he wins Rookie of the Year, it was another good year for Lefevre. Uh, another pennant for the Dodgers. He hit 274, 333, 460. He had 24 home runs, again leading the team, 126 OPS+. plus. He was 2-for-12 with a home run during the World Series, which sounds like not much, but the Dodgers were swept in four games by the Orioles and didn't score in the last 33 innings. Lefevre accounted for one of the Dodgers' two runs during the series, and he had the only L.A. run-scoring hit. Jim Gilliam drove in the other, uh, the final run of the series with a bases-loaded walk, so it was very bad. Um, in the 1965 World Series program, the, the year before, Lefevre was said to have, quote, brought favorable comparisons with Pittsburgh's Bill Mazeroski when the art of pivoting a double play was under discussion. Um, so it's hard to determine, like, what his actual fielding prowess, but for what it's worth, his defense was viewed as above average during his career by both baseball reference and fan graphs. At least on baseball reference, his total zone rating prowess was uh, almost all in his first two years. And then, like, after that, it kind of went downhill. He played um, 613 games at second, 231 at third. He suffered numerous injuries starting in 1967. Uh, in a few years, he had hamstring, heel, ankle, other stuff. He averaged 154 games the first two years. And then over his last six years, he only averaged 102 games. Uh, he was uh, an above-average hitter for his eight years in the majors, mostly. All with the Dodgers, uh, 104 OPS plus overall. Um, in eight years, um, 110 OPS plus through his first five. He was better as a right-hander than a left-hander, um, most of the difference being in power. Um, he had more home runs hitting right-handed than he did left-handed, despite only having uh, about 57% of the plate appearances. So, yeah, like that was his thing. So in, in November 72, though, this was after his eighth season, uh, the Dodgers released Lefevre, who by then was a part-timer, so he could re sign a reported uh, $300,000 three-year guaranteed contract with the uh, Latte uh, Orions in Japan. So you got to remember at the time, like, um, you know, no, it was hard to get more than a one-year deal because, like, free agency hadn't come in yet. And, and he made $40,000 in his last year with the Dodgers per the Associated Press. So getting a guaranteed $100,000 a year for three years and he couldn't be cut, like, that was, that was a sweet deal. Um, in the Long Beach Independent, Rich Roberts had this story. Um, I think I don't know. This like seems like a team source. I don't know if it sounded bitter or not because they clearly let him go. Like anyway, but um, this is from Rich Roberts. Uh, Jim Lefevre's departure for Japan didn't exactly come as a surprise to the Dodgers. His name was scraped off his dressing stall more than a week ago. He didn't fit into our plans, a source said. Um, from an AP article on Lefevre's contract, he said. I'll be playing every day. I would have liked to play every day for the Dodgers, but you can't cry over spilled milk. Um, so he's 31, 1973. He did hit 29 home runs for Latte. And, or is it Lotte? I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. Um, but he hit 265, 318, 523. However, he was like injured his next three years in Japan and only totaled 31 homers and averaged 74 games a year. 
So uh, Lefebvre is the only, or he was the first player to win both the World Series in 1965 with the Dodgers and the Nippon Series in 1974. Um, Brave shortstop Johnny Logan was the only one before Lefebvre to play in both, for baseball reference. Um, so, But the bulk of the rest of the 1970s for Lefebvre was marked by confrontation. There are some really fun examples here. Uh, first, not from Lefevre, but uh, he pointed out uh, after the 1973 season just how different Japanese baseball was. This is from Jim uh, Ragsdale in the UPI um, from Lefevre. Quote, I remember once when the ump called a balk on one of the pitchers, the pitching coach came out and decked the umpire who got up and politely asked the coach to leave the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in 1976, this is from uh, his Sabre bio. Lefevre, quote, got into a feud with manager Masaichi Kaneda, who threatened to punch Jim when he threw his glove against the dugout wall after being removed from a game. Uh, this is from the baseball reference bullpen uh, on that event. Kaneda fined Lefevre 10000 and suspended him. Lefevre said he hadn't thrown the glove at the manager. Kaneda said that others may have interpreted that way and followed suit. When Kaneda refused to meet with his former top choice, Lefevre called a press conference to contest the size of the fine and... Uh, said he wasn't guilty as charged. He argued Canada may have been retaliating for Lefevre's not living up to the manager's predictions or that Canada was singling him out as the Gaijin target of abuse. Um, Canada followed suit with his own press conference and said Lefevre would never wear an, uh, Orion's uniform again. The club offered not to fine uh, Lefevre if he publicly said that he had paid it, but Lefevre refused. <laughs> he, uh, he called a U.S. baseball official who arranged for the fine to be removed. Um, after all that, he still served on Canada's coaching staff the next year. So, like, they, they patched it up. Um, so, back uh, back in L.A., he uh, managed the Dodgers rookie level uh, in Lethbridge in, in Canada in the Pioneer League, 1978. And then uh, he was the Dodgers hitting coach and first base coach in 1979, replacing Jim Gilliam, who died the previous September. Um Lefevre only coached one year under Lasorda, and the two didn't get along. Uh, this might be my favorite part of this. So February 17, 1980. I think, I believe Lefevre was already gone at this point. Like they, he was either fired or didn't have his contract renewed or whatever. Both of them were at KNBC Television in Los Angeles, uh, Channel 4 locally. Uh, this is from, uh, I believe, the oh, from UPI. Uh, witnesses said the 53-year-old Lasorda waited in the studio following the taping of his interview and when the 37-year-old Lefebvre arrived, Lasorda asked if he could speak with the former Dodger. The two men went into a vacant studio and began shouting at each other. When two NBC workers entered the studio, Lefebvre was on top of Lasorda as both men wrestled on the carpet. The two men were separated and left the studio. Lefebvre told an NBC sportscaster, Steve Summers, that Lasorda had taken his coat off and charged at him, and Lefebvre responded with a punch that knocked Lasorda down and bloodied the manager's face. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry that I'm laughing at that, but it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> from the book, uh, Down to the Last Pitch, this is about the 1991 World Series um, by Tim Wendell. He has this note. Lasorda later claimed that Lefevre had sucker punched him, yet Lefevre told the Los Angeles Times, well, I'll tell you what, it was the sucker who got punched, all right. <laughs> uh, so just just a wonderful, a wonderful, like, few years run of just being being punchy at everybody. Um so Lefevre coached with the Giants starting in 1980, fitting after after fighting with the sword to go directly to the Giants. He moved around between coaching and player development. 
went to the A's as third base coach in 87 under Tony La Russa. He was there, uh, the third base coach in the 88 World Series uh, against Lasorda and the Dodgers. Um, Lefevre was named the Mariners manager for 1989, which meant he was Ken Griffey Jr.'s first manager. So he's in Seattle uh, for three seasons. He got to 83-79 and 79 in 1991. It was the first non-losing record in 15 years for Mariners baseball, but yet he still got fired. Um, uh, LA Times story sort of noted uh, there was a lot of turnover that year. He was the 12th manager to be let go since the start of the 91 season. Musical chairs uh, kind of went like this. Um, Jeff Torborg, who we uh, was a Dodgers Rewind uh, a few weeks ago, uh, he resigned from the White Sox and became Mets manager. Lefevre was speculated to replace Torborg, but instead he went to the other Chicago team. Kind of a similar story there. Didn't really win much uh, coming in, although they did win um, two division titles in the 80s. But they were under 592. They went 84 and 78, 93, and then they fired him. That was just the third winning season in 21 years for the Cubs. And it was after Greg Maddox and Andre Dawson left in free agency. But they, again, they fired him. So he's the hitting coach with the A's and Brewers for a while. And then in 1999, he replaced a fired Phil Garner as Milwaukee manager over the last 49 games of the season. They went 22-27, and 27, and that was the last time he ever managed in the majors. Um, he was a hitting coach under Bob Boone with the Reds, and then he helped rebuild the Chinese national baseball team in 2003. Uh, uh, for China, he managed in the Baseball World Cup, the Asian Championship, the Asian Games, the 2006 World Baseball Classic, and the 2008 Summer Olympics. He beat Taiwan uh, in in 2008 uh, 2008 Olympics. I can I can say words. Um, it was the first ever baseball win for China in the Olympics. Uh, but now, uh, since I've talked all this about Jim Lefevre, back to the trivia question: um, Only two Dodgers have led, or two LA Dodgers have led the team yeah. in home runs their first two seasons. Do you have an idea who the other one is? Who? Uh, yeah. I, well, no, but I can I can certainly guess. I. Uh, my guess is our LA Dodgers, but that's convenient because I did drop uh, LA from the as I was thinking of this question. But the names I came to, uh, so my first guess is Sean Green. No, you got to remind. Um, so this uh, is uh, first two years in the majors. Oh, <laughs> that's a fair, yeah. that's a very different question. <laughs> oh no, uh, geez. So. Are, is it first full seasons, or like would a cup of coffee disqualify them from this uh, no, consideration? Yeah, no, a cup of coffee doesn't disqualify. Uh, Mike Piazza. That's right. He, yeah, he's the other one. Um, <laughs> he 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 led in his first five seasons. Yeah, uh, well, and that's and his, uh, his that's I'm really happy with this because I've been thinking about this question this entire time we're talking. One, thinking of Brooklyn players. Two, thinking of it completely yeah. wrong and disqualified. Mike Piazza was one of the first names I thought of, but I was like, nah, he had that cup of coffee. He's not gonna. Yeah, not gonna count. So, so um, I was uh, the the original question I was going to ask was because I wasn't sure how many it was, but. How just how many rookies led the Dodgers in home runs, in, in LA Dodgers in home runs? There's there's only four others. Oh wow, there's actually more yeah. than I would have thought. Oh okay, wow. <laughs> I don't even know. Can you name any of those just out of curiosity? Bellinger. Bellinger was the last. Uh, he he broke Mike Piazza's National League record for home runs by a rookie in uh, 2017. It's since been broken by Pete Alonso. Caros. Uh, Karos, 1992, was the one before Piazza. 
be at 20 on a very bad 92 We're team. in sad territory now. We're, uh, yeah. we're uh, getting to where uh, I was one, not One of the names I already mentioned on this podcast when yep. I list previous Rookie of the Year winners. You do this. Fever. <laughs> uh, where's Jake? I'm trying to remember. I have show notes. I can cheat. Ca- Capital Punisher. <laughs> Later. <coughs> Um, I know who I know who it is, and and now I'm doing the the name thing where I can't think of names. Yeah, uh, the one you're not going to get, and I'll just give you is Billy Grabarkowitz in 1970 <laughs> with 17 home Come runs. Come on, now what if I Frank Howard? By the way, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> it'd be uh, great. You're like, well, I was going to say Billy Grabarkowitz, <laughs> or you like hold up a note and it just says Billy Grabarkowitz, no matter what. Um, yeah, that'd be funny. But no, I was surprised at that. That's a that's a good little list, and. Uh, yeah, prop Piazza, man. What a what a monster. Um, yeah, so that's that's Jill Lefevre. I as a uh, sort of postscript, he uh, being uh, on the Dodgers in the 1960s meant that um, you know there a lot of those players appeared in like uh, television programs and various things here and there. So Lefevre was no exception. He appeared as a headhunter in a Gilligan's Island episode, and I watched this. I put the link in the notes. I will link to it. It is. It would not hold. It does not hold up, as you might imagine. It is very offensive. Um, but uh, the the episode's title is "High Man on the Totem Pole" from 1967. He was also a Riddler henchman in two 1967 <laughs> episodes of Batman. Um, he appeared as Sergeant in a 1967 movie called Riot on the Sunset Strip which is available completely on YouTube, and there's no way in hell I was going to watch that entire thing just to find Lefevre in there. Um, in uh, an episode of the Brady Bunch, Lefevre's home run from Game 1 of the uh, World Series in 66 was shown in an episode, so he didn't technically appear, but he did uh, in absentia. But And I think he appeared on other stuff like after his playing days were over, like um, I think he was in an episode of Knight Rider. I, I need to find that. I haven't seen that clip, but yeah, Jim Lefevre. What a what a fun like sort of just baseball career, and a, a power hitting uh, switch hitter. And it was he was good. But yeah, that's that's our Dodgers rewind for today. Um, anytime you can do something that Mike Piazza did, you've done well. So that's Jim Lefevre. That's uh, today's leading off of Triple LA. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you tomorrow. 